Hi, I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And we're your hosts of Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. We explore and process our experiences with sex, dating, survival, self-worth, and everything in between. We also invite guests to talk about their own experiences, too. Some recent ones include Michelle Zahner of Japanese Breakfast, Ki Kwan... Bowen Yang, and the list goes on and on. Feeling Asian has had a pretty exciting year so far after being named a top podcast of 2021 by CNN and being featured on Apple and Spotify's homepages. We hope the podcast is creating a compassionate space for Asians, Asian Americans, and Asians in America to be themselves without feeling as if their time is a fleeting moment. Tune into Feeling Asian every Wednesday for new episodes. up y'all i'm amanda seals and listen i get it we're in some serious times so i think some of y'all forgot i'm a comic she had them jokes i mean you forgot i had a whole hbo comedy special you forgot i showed love to how black women give compliments okay polka dots and from shade to how white women move in corporate america stop cc'ing all these unnecessary people on these goddamn emails i get it we've been pooped up for a long time that's why the Amanda Seals Black Outside Again Comedy Tour is coming to a city near you. Go to amandaseals.com today and get your tickets so we can laugh and learn our way through this madness together. How black am I going to have to get? He believes in being true, chaste, benevolent. She believes in aliens. It's Mormon and the meth head. <laughs> if you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and just a read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. That is my what? that is my dream. <laughs> To be to like, I wanna I wanna pay off my father's house because uh, he deserves it. My dad worked his whole life for me. Uh, jobs that he like did not. I remember when I gr- was graduating college, uh, uh, and I was and I was stressing over what job I was gonna, what my career was gonna be. And I had this young family, you know, and I was just like, Dad, I don't want to be just stuck in a job that I don't like. I'm terrified that I'll just be like 10 years into a career that I don't even enjoy. And my dad just gave me a kind of a confused look. And he said, son, do you think I like my job? <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, number one, it made me love him, but it also made me really sad for him. Yeah. I was just like, dad, I don't know. Like why did I thought that you just loved being a cannery foreman? Uh, <laughs> I just assumed that was your calling and you enjoyed it. <laughs> But like he's worked so hard, he deserve and and he did it all for me, so I can do exactly what I love. When I right. finally made my decision and I turned down this job offer that I had, and I told my mom, I was like, I'm gonna be a full time comedian instead. My mom was like, Oh, thank goodness. Oh, mm-hmm. thank goodness. You wouldn't have, you would not have been happy in anything else. And they had never said anything to me about comedy before, but like. M- my mom, my dad never really expressed out loud, but he seems pretty proud of me still. Uh, but my mom is like, she, it, was, it meant so much to me. They are so happy that I'm doing what I love to do. And I feel like my dad spent a lifetime working uh, 
double shifts, working two jobs, taking side work wherever he could so that he could pay for us and, and have us do things, right? Uh, so he deserves to have his mortgage paid because he's but never, never going to be able to pay off the mortgage by himself. Uh, but then also, I'm tired of fucking freezing <laughs> to death every time. You know, how, like, we're, I'm, I've told you about what a protective, like, dad I was, especially when Ethan was young. Mm-hmm. I would just be so terrified to take him to my parents' house because it was freezing cold. And I'd be, just be like, you, Ethan would be in, like, full-on footy pajamas <laughs> and, like, covered in so many blankets because my dad sweats profusely. <laughs> if the house is above 60 degrees, he's just like... <sighs> and uh, Oh, I assumed it was to save money. Uh, I mean, it's probably like saving money is probably so wired into his DNA that his body sweats <laughs> when he spends money. Like his body knows that he's spending money. He just starts sweating. He's just <laughs> like, this is making us nervous. Uh, but it'll be so, it'll be so great. It'll be so great when my dad, like when I come in, when I come to visit, I just start adjusting the, the thermometer, <laughs> the thermostat, not the thermometer, the thermostat. My dad, it's like, uh, and I want to be like. Dad, uh, when you, house. well, yeah, my house, my rules. As long as you live under my house, father. Uh, my brother just got busted by my dad for uh, smoking weed in the house. <gasps> really? Yeah, he was just texting me about it. He said dad was surprisingly chill. And uh, he was just like, hey, just came from upstairs. You burning something? <laughs> And my brother, high, is like, ah, <laughs> uh, 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 no, that's just a, a vanilla scented candle that I have. <laughs> okay. And my dad said, uh, I didn't smell vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> and then my brother just like said to me funny gifts about it. But he was like, he was pretty cool. He just was like, I don't want mom to know you can't be doing this in the house. Well, I guess it's... Better than you doing it somewhere else, which is I feel like my parents just still <laughs> Think have you this guys mentality. Are still Fourteen. Well, just like, yeah, just this idea of like, well, where you would have to go to to smoke weed, <laughs> like he has to go to some opium house downtown in order to smoke. Which like, well, I'd rather you do it here. It's like, I mean, no, Dad, you're right to request that he does it outside. There's a million places he could smoke weed besides your house. But he's my dad's just kind of like worried at like what what Jeremy what trouble Jeremy would find himself in if he tried to <laughs> go smoke weed in a, a marijuana den. Uh, oh god. But uh he's like surprisingly chill. And I mean like these are people where I feel like not that long ago my dad was freaking out at that my brother had uh, like R-rated movies in the house and that he had uh, like vulgar rap CDs in the house. Uh, and what? we've had to like break my parents down. Like I remember like when the first time I gave my brother an R-rated movie for Christmas, like in front of my parents and just kind of just very quietly, you know, just – I just acted like it was no big deal and forced them to behave the same way. Yeah. Oh, we totally break our parents. When did your brother leave the church? He left first. He left before me. He, he's my younger brother. I mean, he was done, I think, for a pretty long time. Um, and I mean, I can't I can't exactly remember when, 
But I mean, my brother has gone a step further than I have, where he's officially had his name removed from the records of the, like he wrote a formal letter to church headquarters. Oh wow! That was like delete, unsubscribe, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it's uh, so his his uh, covenants, his baptismal covenants, have been completely uh, xed out. They're wow. just like they don't count anymore. You can't get into heaven. Uh, that's how the the Mormon Church views it, and Does so he have to go to outer darkness or just one of the like shitty. He doesn't layers? have to go to he'll he he'd go to the celestial kingdom. He wouldn't go to outer darkness. He never that's even made temple covenants. Dude, and, I can't so. even. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a sci-fi movie. I think I said that already before, but when you say stuff about it, it's just like God. This sounds so made up. I know so that's why I'm like Hubbard's such up. a hack. All right, yeah, you know, like exactly. Joseph Smith had this had this shit going well before. Like uh, Christianity's bullshit, but it's been like they've been controlling people for centuries with it. And uh, Mormonism, the more you tell me about it, just sounds like fresh, fresh bullshit. Yeah, and I mean that, and that's a lot of the problem with the religion too is that it's so recent. Is that like every all of its history is Googleable. And really easy to find out, and then you're just like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> oh okay, well, that looks bad. <laughs> oh, all right. I think I said to you the other day, though, a realization I had because I felt like I had this because I had this like five year experience in Christianity, and I was like all in all in and fully indoctrinated and believed all of it and and I'm still programmed by a lot of it but it was like a prosperity church so to some extent uh, the programming helps yeah man you you are like I could totally you say that I mean I can absolutely see the prosperity uh influences on you yes but you're just like fucking badass about it yeah and you're just more I like people just want to get rich, but it's so gross when they make it about God yeah. and their holiness. And you are you take that out, and you're just like, I'm just gonna get fucking rich. Yeah, uh, uh, it's yeah, okay. So there was, uh, but a lot of like, uh, I never, you never hear me say I can't afford something, mm-hmm. um, because if I want it, I'll find a way to afford it. Like it's, uh, I, I don't believe in in money as a limiting anything. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and uh like positive speaking but like not like fantasy land positive speaking a lot of i a lot of that stuff uh was cool because it's like permanent um but uh anyway i thought that i really had the experience of what that programming does in leaving the church what that was like and i left the church long before i left the belief system i just thought i was backslidden yeah yeah and uh, it had a huge impact Backslidden. on my. Does that not? Is that not a thing? We call it. We say inactive. 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 That see the whole thing sounds like a fucking I know. like multi level marketing. When I watched when I watched Spotlight, they all said lapsed. Where I'm a lapsed Catholic, and I was like, oh fuck, I love how that sounds. That sounds like backslidden sound, but lapsed just sounds like you backsli- hit the snooze backsliders button. Backsliders is in the Bible. Really? Yeah. Well, uh, also, do you guys not have a full Bible? We got a full Bible. We use King James Version. Okay, same. So there's a couple Bible verses that I've mentioned that you... Um... 
Yeah, well, not like you know every Bible verse, but I just I was curious if you guys are operating on a smaller version of the Bible with things left out or no. The only thing like Joseph Smith once said the Song of Solomon was worthless or something, and so that's still in our Bibles, but no one. Uh, oh, the one about fucking—that's yeah. surprising. Yeah. Uh, the Song of Solomon in your Bible just says like, ladies don't like this. <laughs> 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 You're gonna want it. Uh, she's not. Um. But I didn't realize, and because uh, a lot of everyone I know now is atheist, but... Um, of the Christians that you knew, you mean? Or just, just in mean general, you know? I feel okay. like your whole generation especially is just just by default is atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a lot of friends who have had who have done time in Christianity. Uh, we have this in, in... Done time? Yeah. Done time? Well, how do I usually say it? I did a little stint. But... Um, so I just thought I really had I had enough experience in religion to fully understand it, its impact and it wasn't until this friendship that I realized that because I wasn't indoctrinated as a child I really got away relatively unscathed. It had a huge impact on me and how I saw myself as a woman and like my self-worth. And because it was tied into the, because I married someone who was indoctrinated as a child and the effect that it had on our relationship. And, uh, but that whole, they were real heavy on that women submitting to men and uh, women being less than men, and the man has to make the decisions, and women are supposed to be hot, and if you're not putting effort into being hot, then your husband... Thus saith the Lord. Yeah, and I wasn't hot, and uh, it affected uh, what I thought I was as a person. Did you guys ever say modest is the hottest? No. Mormons say that shit all the time. There also was just... Modest the hottest. Uh... I get. I feel like you guys were like homelier, and there was, you know, because this was like televangelist, uh, uh, culture. I, yeah. So I don't know, maybe, but Mormons look pretty good. Are you guys walking in with like tight ass shit, or you're trying to? I just felt like since you guys are wearing like extra underwear and stuff, that you wouldn't be. You don't dress more modestly than. No, that's. I yeah, you're right. We definitely. But I feel like uh, go to BYU and it's just like, I don't know. I'm not talking about physically, uh, physical attributes. I'm talking about. uh, Mormon women dress really well. I think Mormon men look like doofuses constantly and have no sense of style. But I think Mormon women uh, dress pretty well. There's this weird kind of like uh, gross thing about Utah fashion, though. Like where they're not very fashionable, but like, I don't know. They they put themselves together pretty nicely. That's all I'm trying to say. Without being immodest, yes. Okay. You guys are horse. Uh, <laughs> and that's the difference. Uh yeah. So there was just uh the the lines weren't very anyway, uh not until talking to you and seeing how deeply ingrained religion is and how deeply it affects because there are some uh we've talked about the porn addiction. Yeah. And uh, so my husband was a porn addict, quote unquote, uh, according to, you know, they call everyone that looks at porn a porn addict in yeah. uh, in Christianity. Right. You're addicted to it. Otherwise, why would you do it? And uh, because he did that and because he jerked off uh, 
I was like meant I was made to believe that I wasn't doing something as a wife mm -hmm. because my husband would have these desires. I wasn't thin enough. I wasn't submissive enough. I wasn't pretty enough. Um, but also like he was shamed and had been being shamed his whole. Mm -hmm. And so there's a parallel, right? But um, I just, uh, in our experiences, but I have so much, I don't know. It was like, I think so much easier for me to be like, whoa, that was all bullshit and move on because it was a thing that I did for five or six years uh, that wasn't ingrained into my childhood programming. Yeah, but I uh, am having a much slower time. And it's just, I'm still living in Utah. And I don't know, they're all my people, you know? Yeah. Those are all my people. And... I don't know. I'm constantly being triggered by a whole bunch of stuff. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm uh, confused and whatever. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's it's a. I think it's a little different. Um, when we were trying to go to church, still, we were like trying to force ourselves to go to church right after Ethan was born. We got called in the in the Mormon church. Uh, everybody works for free, and it's like you get a calling uh, to to be the bishop or to be a stake president or to be an elders quorum president or to be a primary teacher. And me and uh, my ex were primary teachers where we taught uh, like eight-year-olds, seven, eight-year-olds uh, on sun at Sunday school. We taught this little class and we would teach them stuff. And uh, we would always bring Ethan with us. He was a little baby and he would just come to class and crawl on the floor and stuff. And then we would go to like sharing time of primary, which was like a whole bunch of classes are together and they do like songs and, and, uh, and stuff like that. And we would watch and always go home and talk about how nervous we were for Ethan to be in primary because, uh, sometimes you would have a cool lesson from like a cool kind of progressive adult who would make a point of being of like, not being so goddamn patriarchal or something like, you know, right. like, or conforming to like the church, uh, approved gender stereotypes or whatever. But then, I mean, you have people that just like teach the kids something like whatever their interpretation of the gospel yeah. is. And, and they teach it as this is like the words coming straight out of Jesus's mouth. And you just learn that. And we'd watch this, like, you know, there'd be a, a room full of like 30 kids or whatever. Um, and they're all singing songs. They teach them, like singing songs is a big thing, but those singing songs, it's hard not to look at as, as brainwashing. When they're so young, Yeah, they're so young and they're being, we're just singing these songs uh, that are te like going, like they're just reiterating the doctrine or whatever. Yeah. Um, I still, so when I, I sing lullabies to Ethan, but I don't really uh, know any lullabies, so I just, like, there are very few songs I know all the words to. Right. So I just sing this weird collection of, like, a, a Red Hot Chili Peppers song, <laughs> and I sing uh, all the small things. Uh, <laughs> but I sing, it, I sing it slow like the clown. Uh, yeah. And it's a great, it sounds like a great lullaby. Anyway, w one of the only songs that I know all the words to uh, is this primary song called I Am a Child of God. And I, I still like have the desire to sing it to Ethan cause just because I know all the words to it. Right. And then I'm like, well, I don't really want 
yeah, I don't know. It's just I feel weird about it. Uh, but like, yeah, I just I get religion. I think, and I also, I just think like, yes, yeah, singing is a great tool to learn things. I understand that. But don't you guys also see how this is kind of weird, like brainwashing kids? Yeah. Don't you guys see? Never how even thought of it that way. Doesn't anyone think it's weird that we're making these kids? learn all these words and sing it over and over and over and over again. And they're five. No one else sings. Uh, I don't know. These were the stuff that me and my wife would talk about. We'd come home and be like, I don't know. This is going to be kind of weird when, you know, someone else is teaching our son this stuff. And like every Sunday on the drive home from church, we're going to have to be like, Hey man, what'd they teach you? And then correct anything that we don't like. There could be a lot of stuff we don't like. I don't know. Uh. Wow. God, it seems like you were at, like, those are big doubts. Yeah, we were having big doubts by the time. It's just the desire to stay was just so strong. We wanted to find it. We were doing all kinds of mental gymnastics to stay. Uh, because just, of the community or because of the just what it meant to leave? Just what it meant to leave, I think. Uh, I mean, that commu- we weren't even really part of that community. We kind of kept to ourselves and didn't like a lot of those, those people in our church. But, uh, we, it was just my whole life. I had served, I mean, I had a lot of people serve a mission, uh, just to make their parents happy or whatever. I was just talking to my trainer when we were doing those shows in Arizona, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, he, was he didn't really believe it, but he did it to make his parents happy. And um, I really went because I wanted to go, and it took me. I had to work hard to get there because I was addicted to porn, and I was being constantly shamed about. And like, I think there might, if you, maybe if you talk to a female in the Mormon Church, they'd have a different perspective. But I, my perspective was like, they. I don't think the Mormons really did the shaming of the females and being like. You know, there's something wrong with you. But, like, the men got berated. Every six months, there's general conference. And some, there would be a, at least one talk about porn. And they would just tell you how bad you were. If you were, like, how evil porn was. Don't ever look at it even once. And you you could be caught in its snare. They <laughs> use all kinds of, like, analogies about. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's when I first found, like, I the first time I went to general conference. I feel like I maybe already told this story. I was 12. I had just gotten the ironic priesthood and I could go to priesthood session with my dad. We're in our white shirts and ties on a Saturday night. Uh, we ate all, we all ate ice cream sandwiches beforehand, just like just the men. And I'm like part of the, the club now I'm 12. I'm a man and I feel great. And then Gordon B. Hinckley, the prophet, uh, he give, he spoke last and he talked about pornography and he talked about masturbation. And that was like the first time I had a name for what I had been doing in the bathroom. Uh, and wow. I was like filled with such hot shame just to know that I like, I was like, I'm not worthy of this priesthood and I'm so bad. And then, I mean, I've got a lot of feelings on, on, quote unquote porn addiction and like what that means and stuff. But I definitely had, I definitely did participated in a, in an addiction cycle. Uh, 
that was fueled by religious guilt. It's just like uh, it would do something and then feel a lot of shame and then hate myself. And because I hated myself, I would do, I would uh, do, do behavior that, right. that I felt uh, I warranted by being such a horrible person. I'm like, you're so horrible. You should just look at more porn than you, you piece of shit, right? So I definitely, uh, it was definitely unhealthy and it was definitely bad for me. But I don't necessarily believe anymore uh, that I was addicted to Well, the anything. shame was unhealthy. Yeah. So I don't think I was addicted to porn, but I definitely, uh, f- my behavior followed that of an addiction cycle because I of the shame. I think that if you couldn't, if you can't lock people into this guilt and shame shit, you can't control them with religion because it without the belief that you are innately bad uh and however your friend put it i loved how your friend put it um oh pete yeah yeah he was telling his daughter um uh yeah he just says like they believe that you're uh that you're broken that's what he said they believe that they believe that you're broken and that you need to be fixed and i don't believe that Uh, yeah, uh, it was really, it's fun that like, I mean, I went on missions and then went to Brigham Young University, AKA the Lord's University, literally what we call it. Uh, and with all these people who we, and then we all kind of exited the church together and it's just interesting, like all these, these smart, just great guys that were good missionaries who studied their scriptures and we had they had all these like smart and insightful thoughts on scriptures and stuff and uh but then like if your brain's working and if you're inquiring and asking tough questions like eventually eventually you run into a million problems in the scriptures yeah this is a problem that's a problem this contradicts this why does this happen holy shit man there is uh uh, what is it? It's in chapter. I think it's in the fourth chapter of the Book of Mormon. Pretty early on in the book, we're like a few pages into the Book of Mormon. God commands Nephi to uh, take Laban's sword because Laban is passed out drunk in the street, and he's a bad man who has the golden plate or the brass plates or whatever. And Nephi needs to get the brass plates. Uh, so that he can have a rec- like a record of God's word in the new world, because Nephi's about to leave Jerusalem and sail on a boat to the Americas and settle the Americas with his family, but God wants him to bring the scriptures with him. So they they ask Laban for the plates, and Laban is like, "Uh, how about you guys get fucked instead?" And he tries to order his soldiers to kill him. They it's run away. Your version is way cooler they, than the actual yeah, version. They run away and uh. Nephi's brothers beat him up for uh, getting him into trouble. And an angel stops them. And is like, hey, how dare you beat up your brother for doing what God said. You need to listen to your brother. He's going to be your ruler, okay? Because he's so righteous. And they all quake in fear. And then Nephi goes by himself back into the city, sneaks in. And uh, he finds, passed out in the street, drunk Laban, just blacked out uh, in the middle of the street. And... uh an angel tells him to take that sword out of Laban's hilt and cut his head off. And Nephi's like, I don't want to do that. That's murder. 
and the angel says, uh, it is better for one man to perish than for an entire nation to dwindle in unbelief. So the Lord has delivered him into your hands. Don't waste this. <laughs> so Nephi takes his sword and then chops the head off of a dude who is unconscious and, uh, and then like wears his clothes as a disguise and, uh, and then steals the plates, which sounds like a kick-ass movie. Right. <laughs> but as a, as a, as a sacred tome of religious scripture, <laughs> it's kind of a harsh start. <laughs> And so I'm a I'm like a I'm a missionary here, and I want my goal is to get people to read the Book of Mormon so that they can feel the Spirit, know that it's true, and that'll be their testimony of the restored gospel, and then they'll get baptized. And so we I mean we find someone who's interested and they're ready to read the Book of Mormon, and four chapters in they're like, hey, so I have a question. Did God just command this guy to kill an unconscious man? And we're like, uh, yeah, but did you see what the angel said about, like, it's better that one man, you know? And we all, I mean, like, as missionaries, we're like, oh, you know, God puts, I, I feel like uh, they put that, God put that chapter in early in the Book of Mormon because it's a it's a good test of faith, you know? It helps people, uh, it's a good test of faith early on. And God works in mysterious ways. God, one time he made a chick throw up, so I didn't kiss her. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, hey, listen, I know you're worried about this, but one time God did uh, stick his finger down a girl's throat so that I couldn't uh, have sex with her. Uh, and then another time he said, I made this guy pass out so you could chop his head off. So, you know how God works. And I just think, like, I don't know, it's just nuts. We just, we we believed in it so hard. And then, like, it took so long for us to finally look at it with critical eyes. And see it the way these investigators saw it and be like, no, this is weird. <laughs> this is weird that God would do this. God's just like, yeah, kill him. Yeah. Yeah, kill him. Because he was passed out drunk. You could have just taken his clothes off and done the whole, like, the whole caper still. Yeah. But without chopping this guy's head off. But it's just like. I mean, Joseph Smith was just writing, trying to write a cool book, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and he just needed he needed a good hook up front. It's uh, a good cliffhanger. You're like, what? <laughs> Dude, they just killed off a main character in chapter four. I can't, uh, I can't first draft of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, hmm. What were we talking about? Porn. Porn? How did I get from porn to Laban? I was like, what? (laughs) How did I do that? Uh, I had to, uh, yeah, like I had to quit porn in order to get on my mission, you know? And And so that's why you went, how many years late? Like a year and a half. Like I went 18 months late. Okay. It was a torturous 18 months, though, because everyone else my age was gone, and uh, it was, like, so sad for my parents, and they did not talk about uncomfortable subjects. And <gasps> and How would they, they even know that you were 
You I, told on yourself. I had to tell them because like, I told my bishop, and my bishop then made me tell my <laughs> parents. Because you could have just gone on the mission. And yeah, just most kids, not... most people lie. Most people are smarter than me, and just were like, but I, I really felt that you know these. The spirit worked on me, and I just couldn't live with that guilt, and I felt like my bishop could know the spirit would tell him that I was lying or something. And uh, So you quit porn yeah, and so it was that hard. you were on the mission? It was really, really hard to quit masturbating and quit porn, and I did it so that I could serve a mission. That's how into it I was, and I... So how long did you go without jerking off? Uh, if we're being totally honest, I jerked off once during the mission, maybe twice. But I know that once when I was like in Pesaro and we like we were sick, we had like this, some sort of stomach flu or something. We were just staying in bed all day and uh, I jerked off that day. Hmm. I know. And I think I did it maybe one other time, but like. It's, even though I did it twice, that's like once a year. Yeah, it's the best I've ever done. Wait, and then I don't, I came home and I had access to the internet again, and it didn't take long for me to uh, start jerking off again. Uh, but I mean, I also like I sp- those two years. I was almost. I never had like a second to myself unless I was in the bathroom, you know. Do you share a room Where, with somebody? Yeah, I shared a room. And uh there's a missionary handbook which I'll find if if I find my name tag cuz it'll cuz I had my name tag clipped onto like the pocket of my shirt and in that pocket was the white handbook of rules. And there's so many rules for missionary that actually be really fun to read some stuff on the podcast. Oh yeah. But one of them is like one of the rules is like uh, you have to sleep in the same room as your companion, comma, but not the same bed. Wow. <laughs> they put that in there. Like, don't. No snuggling. Don't. Yeah. Don't you dare touch each other's dicks. <laughs> uh, Do you think that's a thing? It's definitely a thing. I. I has to be a thing. I think there's so, I mean, I personally know from just my mission, a few gay missionaries, uh, and I can't imagine what it's like to be a closeted homosexual Mormon, uh, and you don't want to tell me there's so, you know, you're afraid you're all this stuff. And then you then are living with one other dude. Yeah for two years uh somebody has to have fucked so does the church pay for you to be in this apartment and shit yeah so you you have to pay everyone pays the same amount per month you know i can't remember how it's something cheap it's like super affordable uh in terms of like how much it costs to actually live for a month you know so i think i paid something like 350 bucks a month or whatever and I just paid that to the church. And then the church subsidizes everything. So, like, there are a bunch of missionaries in, like, the DR where it costs 16 cents a month to 
to like provide housing and stuff right. for those missionaries. And then I'm living large in Milan where, <laughs> you know, they're, they're spending a bunch to keep me in an apartment uh, that also has running water. Man, those missionaries that like get called to the jungle. I do think that that's, like, that's where I wanted to go. It was like the oh, jungle, really? like have an adventure, uh, get a worm that makes me super skinny. Like, uh, like, you know, like all this kind of stuff. But then I like actually hear stories and they're like, we got to shower once a week in like cold water. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Italy was definitely way better. <laughs> and you don't get to pick where you go. No, man. God picks. Mm, you, God's um, so busy this in the is how they church. Te- this is how they tell. This is what they say. There's a- an apostle. who's like a member of the quorum of the twelve. Uh, looks at pictures of your f- of faces of missionaries and assigns and then like up on the on like another screen has uh like missions in the world and stuff and he assigns you to uh a mission and then you get this letter this letter which I remember I was I was so excited this was in 2007 and I was checking the mailbox to see if my letter had come and I opened the mailbox one day, and it was there, this giant gray envelope from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I knew it was my calling. It's my calling, my mission calling. It's here. And I freaked out. And I walked to my car, and I threw the envelope into the car and shut the door. And then I walked inside with the rest of the mail and gave my mom the rest of the mail because I was just like, <laughs> I couldn't believe that it was real. And it was my dad's birthday. It was January 25th. And then we had his birthday. We like, you know, he blew out his candles and stuff. And I, and I said, I got my mission call today. And everyone was like, what? Why haven't you said anything? So I went out and I got it and I opened it. And it said, dear Elder Woodall, you are hereby called to labor in the fields of Milan, Italy or something like that. Like I can't remember. Was that like called to, called to labor, called to serve? I don't remember. And, um, oh, I was so pumped. Did your brother serve a mission? No. Uh, he didn't. And, but, like, I really believed this. They tell you stuff like this, that, like, you know, God, like, this this apostle hears God's will and, like, knows exactly the mission you are supposed to serve in. And then... Uh, you're there because there are certain souls that need you and God has orchestrated all of this and you're supposed to have these experiences. It's all destiny, you know? And I love that shit. But now I realize like, I mean, they're just, it's just like a business as a corporation. They have needs where they're like, okay, we have a certain number of missionaries who are leaving the Singapore mission and we have to replace them. So, yeah. 12 of these dudes are going to go to Singapore. Right. Uh, do any of them like have background? Like because they, they, it'll say if you speak any other language or whatever. And uh, guess what? If you already speak Russian, you're the, the Lord probably wants you to serve in <laughs> Russia. Uh, and it's just disillusioning, disheartening to find out that you were so dumb for so long. Yeah. I see when I left 
Uh, so I had this supernatural experience, right? And I had, and I think I've talked about this at some point before, but my entire life I felt dropped off on this planet. I just felt like there's a curtain. This is the Truman Show. This is before the Truman Show came out. But when the Truman Show came out, I was like, that's it. I felt like I was... But I thought you said you never saw Truman Show. I didn't, but I know what the premise is. Oh. So that's what... Uh, reality just always felt fake to me so when people were like this is life i love that you had this crazy idea this crazy sense of what reality was that no one else believed and it's just you were convinced that this was fake and then a movie comes out supporting your uh belief system and you're like, yeah, I don't need to see it, though. Yeah. <laughs> you think that you'd be so excited that, like, someone else thinks the same way you do. Yeah, it was and, like all those movies came out when I was having this, like, after I had a near-death experience. But Wait a minute, but I thought you were Christian before you died. Okay, way before. So I... Did you have another spiritual experience before the when you died? I, ha- I, got, I got slain in the spirit. I was uh, at a... I got so after the all the running away, the CSD puts me in in uh, like child protective services, puts me in the custody of my grandmother who goes to church all the time. And one day, I've been frying on acid for like two days, and then she takes me to church. I'm down off the acid now, but I'm like I don't want to go back to her house or whatever. And all of the youth kids, this is, it had a huge youth group at this um, of like cool rapper cool, kids yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, and exactly. so uh, there's church that had a skate park yeah uh, yeah this hood. was like hip it was so mm-hmm. easy to like win other teenagers because they really were fucking yeah. cool so um they were funny and talk shit it was a lot of fun so anyway they bring me back to a party because we're going tubing on mount hood the next day and they're all praying over each other and like falling over and i was like what is this now by this point i've already tried uh uh, t- like I've already been on like an ESP trip, a fucking telekinesis trip, a, a astral projection I was into for a long time, um, magic. Like I was already. S- I'd and you're already also really good at fainting. And super good at fainting. Uh, yeah. So I'm perfect for this. <laughs> and I swear to fuck these guys. They go, you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet. That's what's wrong. Because I've been going to youth group here since I got put in my grandmother's custody, but I would just kind of roll in, wait till she wasn't looking and leave. I also tried to convince the pastor that I was going to get beat out of a gang if I got saved. And I showed up to church with, I put like stage makeup on my eye and it looked pretty good, but then I got stuck. And you're like, I went to a screening of Black Panther. (laughs) And And I went I got uh I got it got rained on and the makeup all came off at the bus stop cuz I like three buses didn't come so then I just got desperate and put like eyeshadow on cuz I was already so into this lie and uh and it was very obvious it was eyeshadow so then when I got there I was like do you see what happened to me and he was like yeah I think that goes on the top of your eyelid and I was like you such a dick I was like uh no I got beat up because I told you I, if I came here they would beat me up and they were like god you are a fucking idiot anyway oh my so god. uh yeah uh so they pray for me and I go down and I tried not to go down like I did not I I had a supernatural experience. Are there hands? Are they just in a circle around you? Yeah. And you're standing up. Yeah, and they're like and not even touching you that much, and just and you just they, kind of go down. Are they praying out loud or are they? Yeah, just... they're like speaking in tongues and shit. Okay. So I uh, 
after that, I'm just like, oh, this is the thing I've looked for my entire life. Like, I knew that it was something more than this bullshit that they say life is. And I went gung ho. I was a psycho for Jesus. And at the time, yeah. Because I have I have experiences that I felt during religion that were super true to me at the time and huge deals, and I'm not exactly sure what to do with them anymore. Uh, I just put them aside because I'm like, well, it's not true. But I think, well, if it's not true, how do I explain that? Um, when you fell down or slain in the spirit, like, what are your thoughts on that now? Uh, do you think that that energy, was legitimate? Energy exchanges. Yeah, I think it was a legitimate experience. I think uh, I think you have a lot of people concentrating on one thing. I don't know. I never really thought about that part of it. Uh, I have pretty... Uh, like, uh, I'm not an atheist now. So my, my, my spiritual views are probably weirder than Christianity is. Um, but... Uh, all right, when you're done, I want to talk about how I watched a guy get healed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I do think all that stuff is real because, like, Benny Hinn, who was a big, uh, uh, he's a guy that, like, packs out coliseums and does healing stuff. Uh, our our pastor did stuff with him. And so I think he was just a hypnotist. Like, I don't even know if he knew he was a hypnotist, but he was just a hypnotist. And I think you can hypnotize people into uh, mind over mattering their own shit. Hmm. Anyway, so then uh, I'm just immediately 100%. What do I need to do to be a Christian? I'm all of it. I don't listen to secular music. I stop watching movies. Uh, I'm winning souls. I won so many fucking souls to Jesus because before drugs, I did not have social anxiety. I was one, I just walked in a room and fucking uh, I had I was. Uh, very outgoing and so I had to ride the bus up to Mount Hood every day to get my GED I was in this like mandatory GED program and I I uh I got free bibles I like hooked up with these religious people and I I got them to give me free bibles and I was handing out bibles everywhere I started bringing in all these fucking I would talk to everyone on the bus about Jesus and like people would go for it because I've always Are been you 16 I'm 15 You're 15 okay and uh, I start, I get into street preaching. I just think fucking street preaching is the shit. And the pastor, Holy hell. The, the, the pastor that ran the drug program and the street preaching was Larry Reed. And I thought he was the coolest thing in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would go out and he would just like get down in like, puddles of piss and pray with bums and shit and i just thought it was fucking he was the shit he is he was the shit i don't think he's alive anymore but he was uh and he was everything i wanted to be that's exactly what i wanted to be future father turned out to be my father-in-law which i think i wasn't gonna say his name but whatever so then uh i meet his sons who are like a year and a half apart and the first time i meet his son so i've been i'm uh Everyone knows me in the youth group, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm super popular because I was still weird, right? Uh, I'm well known, but um, I wasn't like with the in crowd. So I just won so many people to Jesus that I had my own posse. And, uh, but like the older people like knew me and liked me because I was very 
very uh, on fire is what they called it when you were like very serious about Jesus. So uh, I meet um, Larry Reed's sons, Dustin and Brandon. And uh, Brandon's my age. Dustin's a couple years older than me. And I never laugh so hard. This pr- I He had me like how I was dying on the floor laughing for like two hours. And I walked up to them and was like, Are, aren't you Larry Reed's kids? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, you guys don't uh, seem very on fire. And then uh, they just mocked me mercilessly. And I was like immediately in love. And, and he had a mullet. And I remember going home and being like, we're going to have to get rid of that mullet. But I went home and told my mom I'm going to marry Dustin Reed. And he did. And I did. And uh, and then we hung out a little bit here and there. Way to set a measurable goal and, uh, yeah. and get after it. Oh, God. He was so funny. I was so in love. and uh, But we couldn't. Like, his dad loved me. But his mom was not down and uh, understandable, like just not what she had in mind for uh, her son. And uh, but you were on fire. I was on fire, but I was trashy and, uh, you know, I'd already fucked a bunch of people and, you know, uh, done a lot of drugs. And so um, we immediately just felt we just felt like we were being kept apart immediately and so we uh they 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 gave us a talk about you guys need to slow down is what it was and we heard that as they're going to keep us apart and so he stole his mom's car and i think i told the story we drove yeah i told you you utah Utah. we got stranded i feel like we got stranded in ogden utah but i also feel like i saw those salt was there just salt lake or something okay the result some anyway so we tried to run away to vegas but like there wasn't even gps back then so we just ended up stranded in utah and we um then he leaves so then like i backslide right but i believe that i'm backslidden i believe that i have done you know that i'm just too sinful whatever and then but i pick him over jesus and Mm -hmm. Uh, so for like eight months, he lives at my mom's house and he loves it because he likes smoking pot, having sex, whatever. I kind of wish I could be back in the church, but also have him. And then I get pregnant with Nicole and we go back, we get saved again and get married, mm-hmm. which is like what I wanted. I wanted all of it. Yeah. You got what you want. And, uh, and then I'm just hardcore about Jesus until the church made it in pot. Like I was so frustrated with how much rules and shit ruined the spiritual experience. And I'm like, yeah, but when do we get to the actual revival? We keep talking about how revival is coming, but where's the miracles? Where's the healing the sick? Where's the raising the dead? I want the book of acts. That's what I fucking signed up for. I didn't sign up for this noise, nickels and numbers shit about how he's my fucking boss and how I'm not enough and all that. Like I did, I wanted the fucking miracles. I was here for the magic and there was no magic. And so I got, uh, I, I left because of that, but still believed I was a backslidden Christian until I had a near death experience in like 2000. And I figured out what God was in that moment. 
that we're not going to get into right now. But we should have a podcast called Jessa Dies. Jessa Dies, yeah. Jessa Dies, and that's the. <coughs> um, all right, so I. Uh, but I to to find out that your entire religion is bullshit at the same time. Which your entire religion is not just your religion, it's it's your culture. It's my almost culture, like your I don't want to say it's your race, but it's like uh it's it's your entire fucking life mm-hmm. was uh through the lens of this thing. My tribe from birth. Yeah, your tribe. It's it's so deeply embedded, it's and I, there's a lot of, I mean, everyone has a different journey and there are some people who hate religion and are putting up with it until they can leave. And then there's people like me who just really, I mean, I loved everything about it. I loved having answers. I loved the certainty. I love the certainty. I love the idea of justice. I love knowing that like everything that was wrong in this world is going to be made right. Um... And I really loved people. And so I, I mean, so much about Christianity. I mean, we've talked about, I feel like we, in a really, you know, negative light and just about power and control and stuff. But there was a lot that I focused on that was just about love. I mean, I loved thinking about how much Jesus loved me and how much my heavenly father loved me and how much that inspired me to want to love other people. And I was so excited to be, I was honored to go serve a mission. You, I mean, like, and I was, like you said, I won souls. You know, like, I won souls, right? I never, I was really humble about, like, humbled to be a missionary. Where, And I felt, even, I've always felt that, like, the words we use are really important. And I, I would never wanted to be lazy with the words. Right. So I would, like, I would never say my convert or like a like I would never say I like I converted someone or I baptized like I always would just be like um I have this the the holy spirit converted this person and I was just like there you yeah. know or like this is a person that I met I wouldn't say I taught them because I felt like the spirit taught them yeah and I, you know but um all right so here's the experience I wanted to talk about that was so sacred to me that I didn't I never told my parents about this I never I ta- I know I talked to my wife about it uh, at least once but I wrote it down in my journal I and but I never because like Mormons should have testimony meetings and you share like faith building stories I never shared this hmm. because I felt like this was too this is this is too sacred to share you know people aren't gonna I don't want I don't want to talk about like I just didn't want it to become trivial. I felt like right. I shared it. But I was a missionary. I was with uh one of my one of my favorite companions, still friends to this day, Spencer, who's just such a he's just such a perfect Mormon. He's so earnest and such a good, good human being. He's naive and and uh to the point that it's hilarious, but like he's he's a good person. And I love him. And we got a call from this other companionship that was in our city. We were in Venice. And they were like, hey, we can't get to see Eric today. But Eric was this one of their investigators. He was a guy from Africa. And they were like, we can't see Eric. And we haven't we haven't been able to get hold of him. 
he was like on schedule to be baptized and they're like you got to keep a close eye on those people make sure they they really do get baptized you know because satan's after them and so they were like could you would you mind stopping by his house and seeing if you can find him and we're like yeah we got time so we take a bus we go to eric's house and we get there eric is eric's a tall skinny guy that's so exuberant and just so joyful and is constantly full of life just the everyone loved him Everyone at church loved him, and they're racist in Italy. They do not like Africans, and they love Eric because he's just so happy and so nice. And I see, and we get there, and he's wrapped up in a giant like parka, and he is like dead. He is shivering. He can't look up, and and he is just looks like he's about to die. Uh, I had never seen him like that. He's excited to see us. He asks if we'll give him a blessing because me and Spencer were both Melchizedek priesthood holders and that we have the power to, uh, to, we have, we have oil that's consecrated for the, for the anointing and healing of the sick and afflicted. And so we're going to give him a blessing. This is just like the book of acts, right? We've got the priesthood that comes from Peter and we, it's the same priesthood that they use to heal people. Um, and I've given blessings and I've received blessings, but it's just like, you know, we bless someone to get better and then they get better in like normal time. And we're like, yeah. And you're just like, Oh, thank God we had that blessing. Right. Um, but Eric asks for a blessing and we, uh, put the oil on and I give the, I do the anointing. And then we break, and then Spencer puts his hands on, and I put my hands on top of Spencer, and Spencer gives the blessing. And he blesses. It's not that long of a blessing, but he says the the right words, and then, you know, it's freestyle, right? And Spencer is healing him, like promising him that he'll be healed. And as uh, my eyes are closed, right, and my hands are on top of Spencer's, and my hands get hot, like, like real hot. Uh, really, really, really hot. And I'm like, this is so weird. And it wasn't until afterwards that I got, like when we left and I got to hear Spencer's side of the story because Spencer's hands are on his actual head. Yeah. Spencer's hands were burning the hell up. Like he was like, he was like, it was, it was, he said, I was lifting up into your hands, Aaron, to get my hands. Like I was just like, I was trying to, because I knew that I, I was supposed to touch him for the blessing to work. But I was trying to touch him as lightly as possible because my hands were burning. And wow. We, but I don't know that until later. But we, we say amen. And uh, we just kind of like stand up, look at each other. And we sit back down on the bed because Eric is in a chair and we're like sitting on, on the edge of his bed. And I look at Eric and he's drenched in sweat. Just completely, his face is just completely drenched in sweat. Like his fever broke while our hands were on his head. Wow. And then uh, he was old Eric again. Like it took like a minute, like as, as like the, as, but as the sweat like ran off his face, his smile came back, the color in his face came back. And then he was like, uh, let's have a lesson. You guys want to teach me something? And so we probably talked to him about like uh, Nephi cutting off Laban's head <laughs> or something and uh, felt really great about it afterwards. But like he was like, I watched, I saw this man who looked like he was death itself. And then 
I felt this heat, like a real heat that went through Spencer's hands into my hands. And then I watched this man just like his fever breaks and he's totally fine. And Spencer and I walked home or we didn't walk home. We walked to the bus just in awe. And we just like, I feel like we said a prayer ourselves together because we were so grateful for the experience that God would allow us to be there, allow us to be instruments in healing this person. Like, I feel like I'm getting emotional all the time because it was the most, it was the most amazing experience I'd ever had. And I just, I couldn't, and I didn't want to tell anyone about it because I felt like I'd be bragging or something like, and I didn't want to, to ruin this moment by ever bragging about it. So I just didn't tell anyone. And because I would write emails home about stuff that was happening. Right. I didn't tell anyone about that because that just was like, that's for us. Uh, that was just like Eric's faith. And God's mercy healed him and we just got to be there. And I wouldn't want to like cheapen it by talking about it. And when I left the church, like I had that and a couple of other experiences was like, like the first time I ever went in the temple. I mean, the first time I ever went in the temple, I cried and I, and I said, uh, I told my parents, I was like, it felt like I went home. I felt like I, when I went into the celestial room, I felt like I was like, this is it. This is home. I'm back. I didn't know that I missed this place because I've never been here, but I'm here now. I, I, I have to come back because this is my home. And I'm just like, what do I do with those? What do I do with these memories? What do I do with these experiences where I'm like, I am positive. This is, this is false. I am positive in my, in my personal beliefs right now. Joseph Smith made up the book. There were no golden plates. No angel gave him anything. There's no restored gospel. It's all bullshit. So why, how did I have, what do I do with that, Jessa? What do I do? Where do I put those, those things? How do I categorize them? Wow, I think you just keep them as your life experiences. I don't know, I never really thought of it that way. I usually have all the answers. This is also like the 20th podcast. <laughs> I'm so tired. Um, Mormon in the sleepy head, am I right? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's just. Let me answer that later. Okay. I'll allow you to answer that think later. About it. You guys think about it too. And we'll catch you on the next episode, I guess, of Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just so read our. Listen to them talking to Mike. Want to know how to keep your skin looking smooth and wrinkle-free? Join over 3 million people worldwide and try Dermawand Pro. 97% of users saw dramatic improvement with this anti-aging device. A gentle microcurrent stimulates the skin's layers, providing vital nutrients and enriched oxygen. Clinically proven to reduce the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, and improve skin texture in minutes a day. Stop wasting time with expensive products. Go to Dermawand.com now and use promo code SKIN20 for 20% off, free gifts and shipping. Dermawand.com, promo code SKIN20.